Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning knowing that many would look at us as being foolish this morning and criticize us and slander us for following after Jesus Christ and for following you, our Heavenly Father. But Lord, we have come this morning to meditate upon your word afresh despite what men think of us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to take delight in your scriptures this morning. May they indeed be our counselors as we seek to glorify yourself. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our study in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And, of course, this chapter comes after God has created the heavens and the earth. He has created the world and he's created Adam and Eve. And then we have seen, we've been slowly working through Genesis chapter 3, verse by verse, and we've seen that Adam and Eve, the first humans, have sinned against God. They were told that they should not eat from one tree in particular, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But Satan came and tempted Eve, and as a result, Eve took of the fruit and gave some to her husband. And we've been looking at the consequences of their sin as a result, that they have been hiding from one another by making clothes for themselves of fig leaves, coverings for themselves, but also we have seen that they've started to hide from God. And that's what we looked at last week, the way that they ran and hid at the sound of God in the garden in verse 8. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at verse 9, verse 9, where we see God's response to them hiding in the garden. And the response of the Lord is to speak to Adam, to speak to Adam. We read in verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And this may seem like an interesting question for God to ask. Isn't God the one who knows all things? Why would he ask a question that he knows the answer to? Does he not know the answer to the question? He does not know where Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden. But of course, God does know all things. He is the omniscient one. But he does ask questions that he knows the answer to, just as we will sometimes ask questions that we know the answer to. Teachers do this all the time at school. As they're trying to train their students, it is not as though the teachers don't know the answers and they're finding out information from the students. No, they ask questions that they know the answer of so that the students will consider the subject at hand and they will seek to come to the answer as they hear it in their own minds. And so why does God call Adam with this question? Why does he say, where are you? What is he seeking Adam to learn from this question? Well, he's wanting Adam to consider his state. Where are you? What is going on with you? What have you done? What are you doing hiding in the trees? And what will you do? God asks this question so that Adam will consider the state that he is in. Where he is at is what God wants him to consider. Just as in chapter 4 of Genesis, God will ask a question that he knows the answer of as well. He will ask Cain, where is your brother Abel? Where is your brother Abel? And God knows quite well where Cain's brother Abel is. But he wants Cain to consider... What is it you have done? And what are you going to do now? It's kind of like the situation when a bank robber is caught in robbing a bank and he has hostages in the bank and the whole of the bank is surrounded by the police. The police have all arrived. 
There is no way out for the bank robber. And so a hostage negotiator is brought in and they speak to the bank robber and they ask the bank robber to consider his situation. They ask a number of questions, usually, of the bank robber. Where are you at? What is going on? What is the situation you find yourself in? Consider the seriousness of your sin, of seeking to rob a bank, and the seriousness of the ongoing sin if you continue to hold people hostage. And if you kill one of those hostages, consider the seriousness of that sin. Consider the relationship that you have to the police right now. Where are you at in your relationship to us? We are hostile towards you as you are being hostile towards us. Consider your relationship with the state at this moment, not just the police, but the state in terms of the judicial system that operates in the country. If you are robbing a bank and you have taken people hostages, well, the state has something to say about your situation and they will have something to say about it in the future. And the hostage negotiator will want the person to consider where they're at in relation to the future and what they will, will happen if they seek to improve their situation. Usually they'll want the person to give themselves up because it'll be far better for you if you just come forward, put the guns down and surrender yourself to the police. It'll actually go better for you in the long term. It'll go better in terms of you won't do any more serious sin, that'll get you even more trouble, and you'll find that the court system will probably show some leniency to you in the fact that you've given yourself up. And so God is asking Adam to do the same thing. He's asking Adam to consider where he is at. What have you done? What are you doing? And what are you going to do? What is your relation to sin at the moment, Adam? You thought it would bring about a better life. Has it? Is it a beneficial thing to know good and evil as eating the fruit has granted you? How are the consequences for your sin going? How's it working out for you being a sinner? Consider your relationship with sin. Consider your relationship with Eve. What's your relationship with Eve like now? Well, you can't see one another naked anymore. You feel shame and grief over her presence as she understands that you are a sinner. And consider your relationship where you are at in relation to me. Where are you at, Adam, in relation to me? You're hiding behind trees now, whereas we used to have good communion with one another. Now that communion isn't there. We are no longer a community here, Adam, Eve, and God. There is disruption in our relationship. And consider who I am that you're seeking to hide from. There's no escaping from me. I am God, the God who created all things, the God who sustains you now. Where are you at in relationship to the God of the universe? And Adam, consider the improvement in your situation if you'll simply come forward, if you'll respond to my question, where are you? And so God calls to us today as well. We are people who have sinned against God. We are people who know good and evil as a result of Adam's sin so many years ago and a result of our own sin. And God calls to us and asks us the same question. Where are you? Where are you at? What have you been up to with your life? What are you currently 
doing with your life? And what will you be doing in the future? How's your life of sin working out for you? What are the benefits that have come from being a sinner? What are the benefits that sin has brought into your life? How has knowledge of good and evil brought blessing to you? Where are you at in this world? Where are you at mentally? How does it feel to be a sinner and to know what it is to be anxious, to know what depression feels like, to feel sadness, to feel shame? How is it to feel ashamed by your conscience, to have your conscience prick you now? How is it to be someone who has fears because of your sin? Where are you at bodily? How does it feel to have a cold, to catch a flu, which you wouldn't have if you'd never sinned? This week I came down with a cold, thankfully with a bit of rest. I'm here today speaking. Uh, We haven't had to have a substitute come up here today. But colds aren't nice, and that's a consequence of my sin. How does it feel to have a bad back, to feel muscle pain? Where are you at with the consequences of sin in your body? How is it to know that you will die one day? Do you think about death? Do you fear death because of your sin? Where are you at in relation to creation? Where are you at in relation to just trying to do some gardening in the backyard? Do your trees respond for you as you'd like them to? What about in trying to work? When you go to work, does everything just run very smoothly? Or do you find that there are problems, that there are thorns and thistles even in the workplace for you? And this world, the possessions that you have, the money that you have, or the struggle that you may have to even get money, but once you've got it, Does it bring you pleasure? Does it bring you joy? Does it solve all your problems? Or does it bring fresh problems? Where are you at in relation to creation? And where are you in your relationships to other people? How are your relationships with your family, with your co-workers, with your friends? Where are you at in relationship to other people? And most importantly, God asks you this morning, he calls to you and says, where are you in relation to me, the God who created you? Where are you in relation to me? How do you relate to me? That one relationship affects everything else. Where are you at in relationship to God? And so as God calls you this morning, you should come forward to God if you've never come to him before. Why should you come forward to God as he calls to you, where are you? Because God is gracious and is giving you a lifeline this morning. These three words here in verse 9 of Genesis 3 give us words of hope. Where are you? This is the first glimmer of hope that is given to mankind after they have fallen into sin. It's interesting, God didn't call to Satan, where are you? He called to man, where are you? are you and these words show us then that we have an opportunity for grace from God God didn't have to call to Adam he didn't have to call to us this morning he has a right to be completely angry with our sin and punish us accordingly he could have arrested us at the first sin that you ever committed and incarcerated you in hell for all eternity He had every right to do so. He is God of the universe. When you sin, you rebel against him, you attack him, and he has a right 
to come down on you with the full force of his law. But thankfully God hasn't done that. He comes to you and desires reconciliation with even the most terrible of sinners. He calls everyone to come to him. And we see in the New Testament that God still has that same attitude that we see here in verse 9 where he says, Where are you? What does it say about the Lord Jesus? What does he say about himself? He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. God seeks out sinners and administers grace to them. He calls and offers forgiveness of sin and the delights of his presence in heaven and the reversal of all the effects of sin. As you consider where you are at in your sin and then consider God's offer of peace. It is an unbelievable offer of peace that he gives. He will reverse the effects of sin permanently one day when you go into heaven and are with him. God is far more gracious than the judicial system in Australia if you were to rob a bank and hold people hostage. They did not let you go scot-free and enjoy a life of peace. God does. He comes and says, where are you? And begins to offer terms of peace to you. Instead of incarcerating you in hell, he himself was incarcerated at the cross. Jesus Christ put himself under the wrath of God so that you could go free if you will come forward when he calls, where are you? And so many people have come forward. He calls all sinners. No matter how notorious a sinner you are, no matter what terrible things you've done in your life, he calls you to come to him. Where are you? And so we see that many people through history have come to God. As he has called them, where are you? They have come and we read of the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 before, where he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. When God called you, what were you? Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God calls to the weak ones in this world, all sinners, to come to him and accept his offer of love. So how are you going to respond to God's call of love this morning? If you've never come to God and accepted his offer of peace, then I encourage you to do so this morning. Put your hands up, put down your weapons and come forward. Confess your sin and rebellion against God. Receive God's terms of peace. They are amazing terms. All you need to do is simply turn from your sin, say sorry to God, and trust that Jesus Christ took the penalty for your sin. Do it today. Don't delay. If you've never come to Christ, if you've never accepted God's call to come to him, do it today. Why? Because if you refuse to come forward, when God calls, where are you? there'll be another day when you will be commanded to come forward. No longer called to come forward, but commanded to come forward, and you will not be able to resist. If you rob a bank, if you're there and you've got the hostages and they're negotiating with you for the release of those hostages and you refuse their offers of peace and you continue to refuse their offers of peace 
and trying to negotiate with them, what do they do? Do they keep on sending pizzas in day after day for the rest of your life? You can stay in that building and we'll keep on supplying you with whatever you want. Just don't kill anyone. What do the police eventually do? They storm the building and drag you out. They don't let you go on and on and on in your sin against the state. And it's the same with God. If you refuse all offers of peace from him, the negotiator for your soul, he will storm your building one day. One way or another, God will cut off the blood supply to your brain. There's many ways that it can happen, but eventually your brain will cease to function. Your heart will stop and it will all be over. And on that day, the terms of peace will be taken off the table. There will be no second chance. No, the offer of peace is made today. When you die, the offer of peace is removed. God will storm the building of your life and drag you out for eternal punishment as one who is unrepentant and would not accept his offer of peace. And that day could be today. You may have lots of plans as to what you're going to do this Sunday afternoon and what you're going to do in the days to come and the weeks to come and years to come. You may have a whole career planned out for yourself. We're all qualified to die today. We have all sinned against God and we all deserve to die instantly. He may have plans to drag you out into eternal punishment today, tonight. You need to accept the offer of peace from him now. Are you really going to persist in rebelling against him in your sin when you're clearly surrounded? Consider who God is. You consider the hostage situation, the bank robber there, the FBI have shown up, well, we're not in America, but the police are all around the building. I was going to say SWAT, that's not right either. There's a special task force in Australia, uh, the police there. They come, they surround the building. There is no way out. You'd be an idiot to continue to persist in rebellion. Now consider what it is like to have the eternal God who has all power surrounding you. Consider your situation. It is like you have guns all around your head right now. And he is saying, where are you at? What are you going to do? Are you going to be so foolish and say, I won't admit that I am a sinner. Take me down, as some, uh, some bank robbers might do. They say, I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go down fighting. And they will not admit their sin and come forward. Are you going to do that with God? Are you really going to stand there and say, I'm not coming forward? You can say, where are you? All you like, God, I'm not coming forward. When he is the God who sustains you, who continues to let you breathe, he can cut it off at any time. Are you really going to continue to rebel against him? Throw down your weapons, come forward and admit that you're a sinner and accept his offer of peace. All it takes is a humbling of your pride, saying, I am wrong. Jesus, forgive me. Let me enjoy eternity with you through your blood shed at the cross. Now, if you are a Christian, 
I encourage you also to listen to God's voice this morning in verse 9. When the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He calls to you again this morning and I think encourages you to consider where you are at as well. Consider where you are at because of Christ and rejoice as a result. Answer the question this morning, where are you? Where are you at? Where are you at in relation to sin as a Christian? Well, the Bible tells us that if you're in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. Your guilt is removed. You're dead to sin from now on. Isaiah tells us that though your sins were like scarlet, they are as white as snow. Though they were as red as crimson, they are like wool. That is where you are at in relation to sin. You're now righteous. You're justified. You're sanctified. You're no longer in a body of death, facing eternal death in the torments of hell. Instead, you're facing eternal life. You've left the kingdom of darkness. That's where you're at. And you're now in the kingdom of light. You're a citizen of another country, which is your eternal home in paradise. That's where you're at. And when it comes to considering where you're at in relation to God, what does the Bible tell you if you trust in Jesus Christ, where you are at? Well, you're in a great relationship with the Trinity, a good relationship with the Trinity. You're in the arms of the Father. That's where you're at. You're a child of God, which means you're a prince or princess in the kingdom. You're a co-heir with Jesus to an eternal inheritance. That's where you're at. Where are you at in relation to Christ? Well, you're raised with him. You're clothed with him. You're now a sheep of the good shepherd. You're part of his flock. That's where you're at. You have the good shepherd watching over you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. You're part of the bride of Christ. That's where you're at. Jesus, the greatest groom, the most loving groom known to man is your husband because you're part of his bride. And you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where you're at. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. He strengthens you. He empowers you. He encourages you. He's the great counsellor. He gives you wisdom from on high. That's where you are at if you're in Christ. Sometimes I call my children to consider where they're at in relation to me, the good things that I've done to them, particularly when they're starting to grumble about how bad life is. I start to remind them about how good life is being under my care because I think it's pretty good care. Why do I do that? So that they'll be more thankful to me for what I've done and so they'll be a bit more obedient to me as they consider where they're at in relation to their father. And that's what happens when we consider where we're at in relation to God because of Jesus Christ. As we consider when God calls us, where are you? And we consider the health of our relationship with him. We're led to greater obedience, to thankfulness, and to praise of him. Because we know that God is no longer our enemy. We are no longer the bank robber with God outside ready to storm the building. Instead, he is our father. And the spirit lives in us. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our saviour and our shepherd and our light. That's where we're at. 
And so we can come before him and be far more obedient as we consider our situation. John Newton, the, the famous preacher, and he's well known for his songwriting, he wrote where he was at in relation to God in a hymn called How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. He says where he is at in relation to Jesus. Where is John Newton at? He says, Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end. Accept the praise I bring. Weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought, but when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. That's John Newton. When he hears God in verse 9 say, Where are you? He considers that Jesus is his prophet, priest, and king, his friend, his brother. And so he praises God as a result. But where are you? That's John Newton. What about you? Where are you at in relation to God? Does God still have multiple guns to your head because you haven't put down your gun of sin yet? Or are you wrapped up in the arms of God as a child? That is where you are at. This morning, consider, as God calls, where are you? Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a gracious and merciful God. Thank you for gently calling us with the question, where are you? Despite our sin, you had every right to send us straight to hell as soon as we sinned against yourself. Lord, we pray that you would help us all in this room to accept your offer of peace this morning and live with you as your children, not your enemies. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you have accepted many of us into your arms. We pray that we would continue to consider where we are at. We would not forget the immense privilege it is to be a part of your family, to have been adopted by yourself. And this may spur us on to love and good deeds at all times as we seek to be obedient children of yourself. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.